Johan Sloma. Is it a waste of time and money to pursue a pro card if you know you don't have the genetics to be a top pro? Um, it depends. It depends on what you're doing it for. Okay, let me just start with the physics of it, the, phys the physiology of it. You don't know if you don't have the genetics for it because, okay, when I started, I was 20. I don't know I don't have the genetics for it. I know I'm working out. I know it feels good. I know things are happening. I'm going to, and I love what I'm doing. I just want to maximize this. I want to see how far I can go. As I grow, as I grow, as I grow, I'm like, in my head, I'm like, I think I can be a pro. It's not like you start one day and you look in the mirror and you're like, yep, I think I have the genetics. You don't know if you have the genetics. You have to put, that's the best thing about bodybuilding. And that's what, that's why I always say sacrifice without regret. The term sacrifice without regret means I'm going to go for that goal I'm looking at and I'm going to have no regret of the outcome because I love what I'm doing and I'm going to go after that goal, win, lose, or draw because I love the process. I love what I'm doing. So I have no regrets. I'm going to sacrifice everything I have to get to that goal and whether I win or lose, I'm going to have no regrets because I loved what I was doing the whole time I was doing it. That's kind of like finding out if your genetics are good enough. You can, you'll not, you're not going to know until you put in enough time to give your body the chance to show you. Because if you're not eating perfectly, if you're not training perfectly, if you're not sleeping all the time and recovering, taking the proper supplements, everything, okay, you're skimping on something, so you're not going to know. If you're doing all those things right, but it's only been six months, you haven't given, given yourself time enough, enough time to know. So you need to wait. You need to focus. You need to say, that's what I want to look like. I don't know if my body can do it, but I'm going to put in the time, the effort. I'm going to lift the weights. I'm going to eat the food. I'm going to make sure I'm sleeping. I'm going to make sure I'm doing everything right. And my body will tell me as I go. If you're doing everything perfectly in five years down the road, you're not seeing any major improvement in your body, then it's probably your genetics probably aren't made for it. But I feel like you have to give yourself a pretty significant amount of time before you'll ever know if you have what it takes. Because nobody knows just by looking in the mirror. Let's see what else I got here. Biggest ops. Preston Roberts 1304 says the biggest obstacle that you had to overcome when progressing in your bodybuilding career. the mental aspect of it. Uh, I used to wreak havoc on myself mentally before shows and it, it, gone, it had gone away by the time I reached the age 35, 34. But I used to just put so much pressure on myself that I, I wasn't enjoying what I was doing. I didn't, I wasn't, I could have been better at what I was doing if I was more relaxed. Um, I had self-sabotage at a couple shows because the pressure got to me and I was like, oh, I'm just going to fucking eat this thing over here or eat that thing over there. And, uh, pressure is a real thing. And the mental game in bodybuilding is the most important aspect. And my mental game was not strong enough. Uh, everything used to get to me. Everything used to mess with my head. Uh, I used to get extremely nervous before shows uh, those things are not it. Those, that was the biggest er, hop, obstacle I had to overcome was I had to learn how to navigate life as a bodybuilder and not let the pressure get to me as I was getting ready for a show. And as I was getting on stage at a show and all those things, and it, it's weird. I'm not talking about nervousness from like the crowd or anything like that. It's just the pressure of bodybuilding, the pressure of, of being better, the pressure of not embarrassing yourself, the pressure of getting that next big check, the pressure of winning and signing that next big contract. Like these things all like, they all just sink in your head when you're trying to get ready for a show or when I was trying to get ready for a show, at least it would just all be there all the time. And it got to me and it would, and it would, um, 
it allowed me to to not do as well as I would like. I would have liked, and that would be the only thing I would change if I could go back and change anything. And it was definitely the biggest hurdle I had to overcome. Um, and when I did, I won two shows. So it just goes to show you, you know, when I when I actually learned to relax and just enjoy training, enjoy eating, enjoy what I was doing, that was when I won two. That was my best look. So, yeah. The bearded one says, simple question, but what is your favorite off-season meal and prep meal? Off-season, pasta with meat sauce. And this isn't cheat meal. This is just my off-season diet. Pasta with meat sauce and uh, pre-contest, probably oatmeal and eggs. Samers1978 says, what would you do for food options to rustle up a meal to carry with you if you got to stay overnight somewhere and have no access to a kitchen or fridge? I kind of answered this already. Sorry, I didn't mean to double question it, but uh, the oatmeal and protein thing is definitely the way to go. And if you skipped forward to this question, just go back a few and you'll see uh, there's a vacation question about uh, what to take on vacation. Same answer. Seaclaw 1984 says, why do you think pre-workout stimulants have an adverse effect on kidney health, higher or higher blood pressure? Uh, I don't know the mechanism in behind in which they affect kidney or blood pressure, but they do. Uh, any doctor will tell you that. Any uh, high-level coach will tell you that. I don't know if the caffeine in it, I don't know if it's the toxicity or I don't know why it raises your blood pressure. I can't tell you that, but it does. Uh, high stimulants do. They raise heart rate. They raise blood pressure. Uh, Pretty much anybody in the know will tell you that. And uh, I will do more research on that myself to figure out exactly the mechanism by, by which that happens. But um, one of the first things a doctor will tell you to do or any high-level coach uh, in bodybuilding will tell you to do is if you have high blood pressure, if you have um, anything, kidney issues or anything like that, tell you to get off all the stimulants. It's the first thing that anyone should do. So... Um, yeah, so a lot of people now are turning to pre-workouts or pump products that don't have stimulants in them for this exact reason. They're trying not to add more toxicity to a diet that is already full of it or add more uh, pressure to on their heart or increase heart rate, um, unnaturally. So I think it's definitely something you don't want to get used to, don't want to overload, and don't want to take for long, long periods of time without some type of break in between. Pierce Break Fitness says, how do you manage to not be a depressed fuck through an injury? I fucked up my shoulders and it's been injured since March. I know you tore, tore your triceps. So how did you manage to keep your head up and not get down? Who said I'm not down? <laughs> um, everybody gets down, man. Everybody gets down. Everybody has bad days. Everybody uh, goes through an injury and is devastated by it because they think it's the end of the world. And I'm no different. It might not look like it on Instagram. Most of the reason I don't post that on Instagram is not because I'm trying to hide and look like I'm, I'm not sad. The reason I don't post on Instagram is because I feel really douchey going, oh, I'm having a bad day. And, and then have like 300 people say, keep your head up, bro. It just feels douchey to me. So I don't like, I don't want to put that out there. It's not because I'm trying to pretend like I don't have a bad day and I'm trying to be all fluffy and make my Instagram look good. I just feel like it's like a douchey way of asking for sympathy. And I don't want to, I kind of don't want to do that. So, um, this is how I do it, but this is, but this is how, if you want to know how I get through that depressed state or through those bad days, I just keep training. Like people at the gym where I go would ask me when I got there, I'm in a cast. It was still like fucking two days after surgery and I'm still in a, in an arm cast. I'm not even in like the bendable thing. And people are like, what are you doing here? Like, why are you here in a cast? I'm like, oh, I just want to train, man. I just, and I'd go in there and do cabs. I literally just go there and do cabs. 
And the next day I would go back and I would do hamstrings by themselves. And the next day I would go back and do quads by themselves. And then I would repeat because I couldn't train upper body. Or I would go in and I would be bench pressing with on a machine with one arm. And people are like, why are you doing one arm? And I'm like, oh, it's going to help the left arm heal faster. I don't know if it really does. There's some studies that show it does. But what's more important is it got me out of the house and it got me out of my funk and it got me to the gym doing what I love. It got me to release some endorphins on a physiological level. And it actually made me feel like everything was going to be okay. Now, whether that's a bullshit feeling and it's not going to be okay, only time will tell. Like, I don't know if this tricep's going to fully grow back to the way it was, but I know one thing mentally it kept me sane because I could not imagine just sitting in my house for six weeks or eight weeks or 10 weeks until the doctor cleared me to work out. This is not going to happen because I'll get depressed and I don't want to feel depressed. And the worst way to make depression worse is to fucking sit in your bed or sit on your couch and fucking mope about it. So I just decided I made a decision. I'm like, no, I'm not going to fucking feel depressed. I don't know if this is going to make things better faster. I don't know if it's going to make me heal faster. If it does, that's great, but I'm not going to be depressed. I'm just going to keep going to the gym. I'm going to keep training as if nothing happened. And by the second week I was still in a cast, but I had my split back. Like I was training like chest, then I would train hamstrings, then I would train back, then I'd take a day off, then I would train arms and shoulders, then I would train quads. And I was doing the full split, just not ever using this arm, not ever using my left arm. And it made me feel like I was normal. It made me feel like everything was normal. Everything was going to be okay. So my advice to those people who are depressed, don't sit on your fucking ass. Don't sit there and wait for things to get better. Don't sit on a couch and wait for things to get better. Don't sit there and mope and think, oh, my life is over. I tore my X, Y, Z, and it's, I'm never going to be the same bodybuilder again, and my whole life is done. And Maybe, but I'll tell you one thing. For sure, it's over if you just sit your ass on the couch and mope about it. At least give yourself a chance to come back. At least give yourself a chance to make things better. Don't, you know, I feel like those people, I feel like people who just sit and, and wait for things to get better are victims. They, they like the victim side of things. Oh, it's okay. I'm hurt. I can't move. I can't do this. I can't do this. bullshit. In your case, you say you're, I don't know. It doesn't say what your injury is, but, Oh, your shoulder, your shoulder, you fucked up your shoulder. Okay. You still have legs. You still have legs. That's, that's three days right there. That means you can go in one day and train hamstrings. You can go in one day, train quads and you can go in one day and do uh, calves. And then I don't know what part of your shoulder is bothering you, but maybe you can do back still. So like that's, if you can do back now you have four days. So if I'm you, I'm thinking, okay, I got four days in the gym. That's not bad. It'll keep me sane. I can go in. I can kill legs. My legs can never be too big. I can go in. I can kill back. My back can never be too big. And then I can go in and do abs on the fifth day. And then you ha- now you have five days. And then I, also you can still do cardio. That's the other thing I did. I kept doing cardio. I just did not want to be home. I do, do anything to not sit here on my fucking ass and pretend I'm dying. I'm like, I don't care if I'm fucking hurt. I got a sling on my arm and I'm doing fucking, I'm on the step mill. I wanted to get out of the house. I get up in the morning, take my shower, fucking go to the gym, do my cardio, come back and eat. And I, I just fucking faked it. I pretended like everything was fine. I just couldn't use my left arm. And then here we are 14 weeks later. And I felt I had some bad days, but no depression. Because most of the time, I was still training. And in the bad days, when I was having the bad days, I would get up and force myself to go to the gym, and that would end the bad day. So I tell people all the time, I have people message me about losing their jobs. I have people message me about losing their girlfriends. I have people messaging me about family members dying. And they must fucking hate me because my number one remedy is get your ass to the fucking gym. 
because it always worked for me. My father died. I got my ass to the gym. My fucking girlfriend, we broke up. I got my ass to the gym. My whatever happens in my life, whatever shitty thing happens to my life, the answer has always been the gym. Get there. And the, the main reason is not that it makes you feel better to be there. The main reason is it keeps this level of normal, normalcy in your life. If you're used to eating X amount of meals a day and you're used to going to the gym one or two times a day, and this has been your life for whatever amount of years or months, all of a sudden you hurt yourself. It's your level of normalcy is thrown out the window. So when you can keep that normalcy by saying, okay, I'm injured, but I'm not going to stop eating my meals. I'm not going to stop going to the gym. I'm just going to avoid that one body part. Then at least you can keep your level of normalcy and help yourself work through the injury. And then when the injury goes away, nothing in your life really changed. You've always just been going to the gym still. And that's kind of how I feel. So it's a long answer, but the short of it is get your ass to the fucking gym. Don't let your life fall apart because of one injury, get that fixed, like go to massage or do whatever you have to do. See a physiotherapist, get it fixed while it's being fixed. Keep going to the gym and training everything else. Adam Bruce 299 says, is it okay to have a couple of beers after training? The way I see it's extra calories and it helps me relax. But so many people say it's a bad, it's bad for bodybuilding. No, it's not okay, dude. It's not okay. And it's not just extra cal. I mean, okay, let's take the calories alone. That's like saying, well, I like having pizza and I like having two slices of pizza every day after the gym because it makes me feel good. You would think I was a fucking retard. Oh, excuse me. You're not supposed to say that. You would think I was stupid. You'd be like, why is this person? Why is this person eating pizza every day? And, um, it, it, it doesn't make any sense that way. Now, now let's take the calories totally out of it. Let's say you don't care about the calories. Alcohol blunts protein synthesis. So alcohol blunts uh, IGF release. So after your workout, the reason we want that, that whole anabolic window thing, the reason that's so important is you want to get protein in and carbs in to drive nutrient. The carbs are going to drive back to the muscle, hope re refill glycogen. And the protein is going to help rebuild muscle in a sense of protein synthesis. That's when we are, our protein synthesis is highest. So if you start drinking alcohol post-workout, you're blunting your body's ability to synthesize protein for like, I think it's four to five hours. Well, now you've just, your whole workout is pointless now because your, your protein's not being used by your body properly. So not only that, it also blunts insulin. So now your carbs aren't being driven to where they, to the cells they need to go to also. So hormonally, you're okay. It doesn't affect testosterone and estrogen too much until you get into like upper levels of drinking. But two beers is not going to affect testosterone and estrogen, but it's going to affect the way your body processes protein and the way your body processes carbs. So it just doesn't make any sense. I would... I would much rather tell somebody, you know what, you're better off just drinking once a week and having a really good time instead of messing with your bodybuilding dreams every single day just because you want to have two beers. It's just a, I would say the same thing as somebody who said, well, I like smoking. Okay, well, it's probably not helping you. So if you, if you want to be a better bodybuilder, you might want to quit smoking but it relaxes me. Well, it doesn't matter if it's not helping. Right. So all the things we're doing, like you can't just say it feels good and it relaxes me because there's so many things I could use for that. In that example where it feels good and it relaxes me, this such and such does that. It doesn't matter. Is it helping me build muscle? No, then it shouldn't be my program. And that's kind of how you have to look at it. Muscle freak 47 says, what compounds do you prefer in the off season? No need to tell us the dosages. Um, okay. I don't normally do this, but my favorite. Okay. I kind of do this like, I kind of do this like toxic, non-toxic thing. So I'll do like four weeks heavy where I'll go like 
testosterone EQ trend. And then I'll do four weeks, uh, not heavy. And when I say heavy, not heavy, I don't mean dose. When I say not heavy and heavy, I mean toxicity levels. So trend is highly toxic. So, um, and EQ can thicken your blood. So these two, these three compounds make me feel really good in the gym, but they're not great for my body. So test EQ trend. Um, and then the lower toxicity one would be like test DECA and Primo. And Primo is very low side effects. DECA is a little bit easier on your body, good for your joints and all that. So I usually kind of bounce back and forth between these two in a full cycle and then go off or bridge or my off is a bridge. It's usually like 300 milligrams of testosterone. So I have to, or else my testosterone will shut all the way off to zero if I go all the way off. So I can't go all the way off. I have to, I have to remain on a TRT dose, but yeah, so I'll do that in a full cycle. And then I will go to my TRT dose for a little while, clean out and then run it all over again. And that seems to be working for me and keeping my body pretty healthy most of the time. And then it doesn't get unhealthy unless I run that heavy stack for too long. So there's not, there's, there's more, you guys have to think about this in more terms than just how fucking big can I get? If you love bodybuilding, you're probably gonna want to do it for a long time. So you have to think about it, about it in terms of longevity. So when you get toxic drugs like Tren, Anadrol, D-Ball, Tyranobol, uh, there's, there's so many, okay? I don't, I don't know all of them, but if you get really toxic drugs like that, uh, Trend being the most popular probably and Anadrol being one of the most popular, then if you run them for long periods of time, you're shortening your, your longevity as a whole. Okay. You're doing a lot of damage to your body. Some of it reversible, some of it irreversible. So when you're running toxic cycles that include Anadrol or Trend or ever, and, and I wouldn't, I, I've never taken the two in the same stack either. So careful of that too. But um, when you're running really heavy cycles, it's important to, um, not do them for a long period of time to make sure you keep your body safe. Okay. So I'm not telling anybody what to do as far as dose or anything like that. I'm not gonna, but I also don't advise. I, I personally wouldn't do a really, really toxic stack. Like I wouldn't do Androl and trend together. It's just not my, I feel like there's more uh, damage than reward in that cycle. Grizzly Bustamante says, what's your preferred PCT? Uh, at the moment, I just, sorry guys, the last question I just explained. My current PCT is just TRT. So when I go off, I don't go off. I have to go to 300 milligrams because otherwise my testosterone is zero. So, um, but before when I could go all the way off or I did go all the way off, I would, uh, this is what I would do. I would wait a week after my cycle and then I would do a thousand milligrams of HCG, HCG uh, every day for two weeks. And then after a week, I would start Novadex. And then after 30 days and that, I would start Clomid. And that's kind of how I ran my, my PCT. I would usually run that total for eight weeks. Like not all three, but all of it together. By the end, by the time I was done, my I would run my Clomid for another month and then I would be done completely. I would just stay off everything for a few weeks and then I would be ready to start back up again after I did my blood work. George Christo, IFBB Pro says, everybody claims they're 100% on their diet during prep, but that seems impossible over the course of 16 to 20 weeks. How much cheating on diets actually goes on and what do you personally consider acceptable? George Christo, if you're an IFBB pro, I find it a little amazing that you think it's impossible that someone doesn't cheat. Um, actually, most of the guys I know are pretty fucking crazy. They will diet. I don't know anybody who's 20 weeks, but some do 16, some do 12, and they don't cheat. Now, there are some people that have scheduled cheats. Like some people have a scheduled cheat every week. And they say, I'm 100% on my diet, which they are because their coach gave them a cheat. So they're still on their diet, right? 
But I also know guys who don't have cheats who are on their diets for fucking 12 straight weeks without a cheat, without anything. And it's not impossible. And actually a lot of us do that. So I personally don't ever cheat at all unless my coach tells me to ever like my wife used to call me a soldier. Cause like, I wouldn't even do an extra grain of rice. I wouldn't do an extra teaspoon of peanut butter. I've gotten a little more relaxed as I've gotten older. Cause I know what I can get away with and what I can't. But at the start I was like, for the first 15 years of my career, I'm like every gram of rice, every gram of fucking, there wasn't a day I would cheat, man. That's what it takes. That's how you get shredded. You can't, the guys you see that are peeled are the guys that did it a hundred percent. And there's, you see them quite often. Um, but yeah, I know, I know numerous guys, it's not impossible. And if you're really serious about what you're doing, then it's going to be a hundred percent on bang on all the time. Wills XX says, how do you like Anavar for the off season? Not a fan. Never used it. I know some people claim that it helps with recovery. It helps with injuries, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Uh, personally, I've never, ever used Anavar in the offseason in 20 years. So it's a cutting drug. It's not a powerful drug. It's not going to help you build tons of muscle, in my opinion, unless, I don't know, you mega dose it. I don't know. But I just don't, I don't see, I don't see the point in that myself. Uh, Suzuki Sima says, I haven't seen this question asked yet. Have you ever had any issues with body dysmorphia? And if so, how did you deal with it? I struggle with this a good amount. And even though people tell me I'm not small, I still feel like every person in the gym has size on me. I hate it, but sometimes, but at the same time, it kind of likes, it kind of feels like it helps me work harder. Um, I don't struggle with body dysmorphia. I, I, okay, well, let me, let me rephrase that. I don't realize how big I am. Like, for example, I was in Tennessee yesterday. I worked out with two, two guys. I thought one guy was bigger than I was. He's huge. Just the guy looked huge. But I saw us both in a photo later, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'm still bigger than he is, or at least it looks like it. And I didn't realize that. Now, I guess that's a form of body dysmorphia. But at the same time, it didn't bother me. Like, I didn't care. I wasn't like depressed, like, oh, like, it, like before I saw the photo and I thought he was bigger than me. I'm like, I wasn't like, oh man, my life's over. Like this guy's bigger than me. What am I going to do now? Like, I don't care. I, I like, to me, I always want to be bigger. So I don't care if somebody at the gym is bigger than me or not. I'm not satisfied. I probably will never be satisfied because it's, it's, you could say it's body dysmorphia, but to me, it's obsession. I want to be perfect. I want to be the biggest guy on stage. I want to be, I want to maximize the size of my muscles. So I don't, this is where I see it being a problem. If you see somebody you think is bigger than you and it makes you depressed, if it makes you go home and start binge eating, if it makes you go home and start like mega dosing your fucking anabolics, if it makes you go home and like whatever, if, if there's anything negative to that feeling, you need to rethink it a little bit. Okay. Because there's going to be people bigger than you anyway. Even if, even if, even if you're wrong and the guy is not bigger than you, you're going to run into somebody one day who is bigger than you. So it's not relevant. What's relevant is how you look Okay, this is going to sound like a fluffy bullshit line, but it's going to, this is the truth. It matters how you look in comparison to how you looked the day before, the day before that, the week before that, the month before that, the year before that. As long as you're progressing, you don't have to fucking worry about how other people look. If you took a picture today and you took a picture last year and they look the same, then you can be bummed out. You can be like, fuck, I wasted a whole year and I don't look any bigger. Okay? But if somebody else is bigger than you, it's irrelevant. All that's relevant is, are you better than you were previously? Because you're, you're, I'm assuming you're aiming at a goal. You want to win a show or you want to reach a certain weight or you want to reach whatever. So it doesn't matter who, if this guy's already 280 pounds and you're 260, 
It doesn't matter. What matters is you were 250 last year or you were 230 last year and now you're 260. That's great. That's how you need to look at it. You need to go, am I better than I have been? Or am I stagnant? Do I look the same? Am I the same? Am I the same as I was six months ago? Am I, am I the same as I was last year? If that's the answer is yes, you got a problem. Then you can be depressed and you can figure out how to fix it. But don't, don't bother comparing, man. There's always going to be somebody bigger. You know, it doesn't matter what level you're at either. Like I'm a pro. I weigh 300 pounds in the off season when I'm in full blown off season mode. I can still walk by Jay Cutler when he was in the off season and be like, fuck, he's twice my size. Not twice, but he's bigger than I am or walk by like whoever. And if it's not, if they're not bigger overall, maybe they have bigger body part, a certain body part. Oh man, that guy's got bigger legs or bigger calves or bigger. It's just, you got to get past the emotional side of it and start treating it more like a numbers game. And you have to focus on, how you can make yourself better and not worry about other people. You just have to keep focusing on how much better can I get in the next six months? How much better can I get in the next year? That should be your focus. Not Joe blow is bigger than I am. Cause if you keep focused on yourself, eventually you're going to be bigger than those guys. So just focus on what you're doing. Rikar Ali says, when did you know your career that you could have a business outside of it, outside of just being a pro bodybuilder and the prize money and sponsorships like was there a moment where you realized, wow, a lot of people follow me. I can make a living outside of the competitive part. Or was it just people directly asking you for clothing line as an example? Um, well, in the very beginning, you have to just try, like you just try it out. Right. So, when I started, there wasn't social media. So I wasn't like, like when I very, when I started my very first clothing line, there wasn't really social media. There was like muscle, there was like bodybuilding forums that people would go on and chat, like chat rooms kind of. Right. And so you didn't really know like how important you were or how many people followed you or how many fans you had. You didn't really know. I guess you'd kind of gauge from the comments in the, in the bodybuilding forum, but like, it wasn't really certain. So you just try, like I would start, for example, with my, like my t-shirts, I would start with like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to print 40 shirts and see if they sell. Oh, okay. Those 40 sold. Okay. I'm going to print a hundred shirts and see if they sell. And then you just grow your business that way. Like you can't nowadays it's a little easier to guess. Oh fuck. I got 500,000 followers and I got, you know, a whole bunch of people watch my YouTube channel and I got, okay, so that means people kind of like me. Maybe they'll buy my stuff. If I, if I make it, that's kind of the thought process is people are interested in what you're doing. They're probably going to buy the stuff that you're selling, but that doesn't always work out either. I know some people that have like a million followers and their sales aren't that great. So I think personally, a lot of it is trial and error. You're going to make something it's like, you know, I said at the beginning of this video, I'm starting a supplement company. It's a trial. It's an expensive trial, but it's a trial. I'm going to make something that I really believe in and people are going to try it. People are going to buy it or not going to buy it. I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure if people are going to buy it or not. Just like when I started and I started selling t-shirts like way back in like 2007, 2006, I think 2005, I came up with my first set of shirts. I just started with like 12 shirts. I ordered my first... I called the printer and I said, what's the minimum order? And they said 12. And I go, okay, I want 12 shirts. And I sold them. And I'm like, okay, I want 24. And I sold the 24. I'm like, okay, I want 48. And I sold the 48. And that's kind of how you realize you have a business. Um, some people have money to waste. If you have a ton of money to waste, then you'd probably start out buying 500 shirts. And if your business doesn't work, you're going to throw away 400 of them. But I always chose to err on the side of caution because you don't ever really know. So even with the supplement company, you know, we're going to get this thing off the ground. We're going to start slow because I don't know. I don't know if people like the same stuff I do. Maybe they don't. And uh, I don't think there's, it's like anything. Like if you open a restaurant, you don't know people are going to come in and eat. You're going to make the best food that you know how to make. 
And people are going to either come in and enjoy it or they're not. Maybe they don't like the atmosphere. Maybe they don't like the menus. Maybe they don't like the food. Maybe they don't like the any, any number of things. But you're always taking a chance anytime you start a business. So in my opinion, you should start slow and see if there's an interest and then just build it from there. MCARPS48 says training legs twice a week. Oh, I already answered this. Go back earlier, guys, if you want to know about how to train legs twice a week. There's a question earlier in the uh, podcast. Diego Rivera805 says, did you ever struggle with having weaker body parts? How can you get motivated to work on them? Well, I did struggle with having weak body parts. I talked about having lagging legs and I used to have a lagging back and I get motivated to work on them because they suck. So (laughs) the motivation comes. This is a funny thing. You know somebody's a real bodybuilder or a real lifter if they find something weak in their physique, which all of us who are real bodybuilders can, because we're always very critical of ourselves. So you know somebody's a real bodybuilder when they find a weakness and it becomes their ultimate focus. And you know somebody's faking it when they just want to go to the gym and train the things they're good at. Because everybody likes to train the things they're good at. Oh, man, my chest is great. And I fucking love chest day. Yeah, because it's fucking easy and your chest looks good. Right? But somebody else might have a shitty chest and they're like, oh, man, I love arm day because their arms are 20 inches around. And they're like, my arms look great. Blah, blah, I love arm day. It's so great. Real bodybuilders, real lifters are like, my fucking legs suck. I can't wait for leg day. I got to fix this problem. You know what I mean? And I'm not trying to discount the people that love training chest because they have great chests. I do that too, right? Chest days, it's fun. It's because if you have a good chest and you're pretty strong and everything, the chest is a fun, it's easy to get a pump. It's not extremely mechanical like back. So I get it. I'm not trying to like discount those people, but it's not hard to get motivated to train a body part you don't have because that's the motivation. That's the reason you started bodybuilding in the first place. The reason you went to the gym in the very first place is you looked at yourself in the mirror and you said, I have nothing. All my body parts suck. I don't look like the guy in the magazine or the guy on Instagram or the guy. I got to go to the gym. That was your motivation. Well, it's the same motivation when now you've built some body parts, but some body parts aren't growing. It's the same motivation. You look in the mirror and you go, okay, I have everything, but my legs suck. Okay. I want to look like the guy in the Instagram. I want to look like I have his legs. That's the motivation. Then you go and you fucking build your legs. For me personally, when I have a lagging body part, it comes, becomes my ultimate focus. Like when my legs are down, I start thinking about them the night before. Okay, tomorrow's leg day. I really got to put some size back on my legs. How am I going to do that? What am I going to do? What are my sets going to look like? What's my exercise going to be like? And I have a pretty good plan before I get to the gym of what I want to do. And the intensity is ramped up. A lot more than if I was training chest, everything's tuned right up because I know it's important that I get everything out of my body on this day because this is the area that I'm lagging in. Like those of you who listened to the whole podcast, earlier I talked about training hamstrings. Now I hate training hamstrings and how do I get motivated to train body, train body parts you don't like that much. That's why also why I'm, in, I'm motivated to train hamstrings because not only because I want good hamstrings, but because they suck. I want them to be better. So when I'm training hamstrings, even though I might have trouble getting to the gym, when I start training them, I'm turned right up. Like every, all the dials are turned to the top because I want to get the most out of that workout because my hamstrings are not where I want them to be. So back was probably my biggest problem. Uh, but again, I started training back twice a week. I did a pull down day and I did a rowing day and they were separate. And those days were my focus and my back became my best body part. So you don't need motivation if you want your body to look a certain way. You're just going to go and do it. Pay a champ says, was the watermelon you picked out to turn out to be any good? Or was it bad like your wife said? (laughs) So if you guys follow my Instagram stories, I did a little story about buying a watermelon at Costco and I showed how to test it. Now you kind of tap it like an ass a little bit and you listen to the sound. And if it's hollow, uh, if you get a hollow sound, apparently it's supposed to be a good watermelon. So I picked one out and my wife 
was making fun of me because she said, for sure, that's a shit watermelon. And I didn't know what the fuck I was doing, which we both had a good laugh at. But uh, she was wrong and I was right. And the watermelon was awesome. And she admitted to me afterwards when I cut it all up, but I didn't get it on tape. So I'm telling you guys, if you're married or if you have a girlfriend or everything, if they say you're right, make sure you have your phone ready and in your recording because it doesn't happen often. Cole wallet says what manufacturer makes the best full size pickup GM Ford or Dodge. I'm a Ford guy. I know I have a Yukon it's, but it's an SUV. If I was going to buy a truck, it would probably be an F two fifty. I love the Ford trucks. I love the design. I love the, the ergonomics of the interior. Uh, I love the engine, the suspension, the way the whole thing, the whole thing. It's like, I feel like they just got it right. So definitely a Ford guy. Uh, Brennan Eggers says, when starting early in your career, how much were your work? Were you working to cover financial costs of bodybuilding? Were you making enough to save on the side? This is coming from a 20 year old college student with a part-time job. Um, I did not save anything because there was no money to save anything. I had to buy my food. I had to pay my rent. I had to pay for my car. I was working full time. Um, I was working at a bar as a bouncer. I was working at a strip club. I was working at a strip club as a bouncer for most of that time. And uh, we used to get tips for seating people and all that. And we got pretty paid pretty good, you know, for that, for, for what age I was, it was pretty good money. And I think, uh, no, there was no way to save. And a lot of months really sucked. I think I had hit my brother up for rent a couple times. This, it was a struggle. It was a struggle getting by. It really was and for a little while there. But I knew what I wanted. Like I knew I wanted to bodybuild and I found a way to like just make sure I got meals in and I found like, you know, I got a supplement sponsor for a little while. So I was getting my supplements for free at least. Um, it's tough. It's not easy, but those of you who want to reach a goal will find a way to get there, even if it's tough or not. Our Cuban Hoven 94 says, would you ever consider starting up your own supplement company and trying to follow the, a pure approach like how Chris Geffen's products are? I am starting a supplement company, but I'm not focused on, let me, how can I put this? I think you're equating pure and healthy in the same breath and you can have really pure ingredients and you can have a healthy product, but it can still be dosed in higher amounts. So what I mean by that is this cage muscle has great products, but I feel like they are not made for hardcore bodybuilders or, or serious lifters. And that's why I am coming out with my supplement, my own supplement brand. And uh, the dosing will be, the dosing of the ingredients will be according to the people using it. And the people using my brand, I'm going to assume are people like me or people that want to lift like I do, have workouts like I do, have the intensity in their workouts. So my products are going to be a little different. I'm not focused on biohacking and trying to be extremely healthy and trying to be like, you know, I'm not, I'm not running triathletes or anything like that, like, or triathlons or anything. My, that stuff is all great. You know, if you, if you do CrossFit, if you do triathlons, if you do, it's awesome. You know what? I think it's great. That's what you want to do. More power to you. Personally, I just want to lift weights. I'm a bodybuilder. I want to get big. I want to lift weights. I want to feel energy and pump in the gym. And I want to be fucking crazy. And I don't want anything to slow me down. And that's the kind of products I'm putting out. That does not mean they're not healthy. And it does not mean they're not pure. It just means they're made for bodybuilders. And that's what I'm focused on is, is the bodybuilders that want to lift heavy, lift for long periods of time and, and really get the most out of their pre-workout or their intro workout or their aminos and really have everything they need to grow and get better 
in the gym. That's, it's a different formula. It's a different, it's a different approach than, than what Chris, what cage muscle is doing. Uh, he Jack Powell says, if you could pick any male competitor and any female competitor to have a baby to make the ultimate bodybuilder, who would you pick? Can't be Ronnie Coleman and Iris Kyle. <laughs> How the fuck do you guys come up with this shit? Um, you know what? I got one. Shanique Grant, who is like the ultimate physical specimen, male or female. I've never seen a body like that in my life. Like the physique is just phenomenal, right? It's like you, I've never seen body parts put together that way with such a tiny waist and all that shit. So I'm going to say Shanique Grant and Flex Wheeler. Can you imagine? Like that's pretty, it's tough to beat, man. So yeah, Shanique Grant. And Flex Wheeler uh, would be a pretty crazy physical specimen. Jay Sarah Fitness says, I'm 30 years old, haven't gotten my pro card yet, which is the which is the ultimate goal for me personally. I've competed in six shows, and every show I get better. Is it worth it as long as you're continuing to get better or more of a personal decision overall? Honestly, man... 30 is, is not old by any means. And I think it's a personal decision, to be honest. It's not for anybody else to say. You could be 40 and be like, you know what? I think I want to be a pro bodybuilder. And you can go get a pro card as a master's or something. It's not for anybody else to say what people do. People look at me and they're like, hey, you're 40 years old. Why don't you retire yet? And I'm like, and you're injured all the time. Why don't you retire? I don't want to fucking retire. It's not your choice. It's my choice. If I can get back on stage, I will. And that's what I want to do. And for you, it's the same thing. If somebody says to you, hey, man, you're 30. That's stupid. You're too old. It doesn't matter what they think. It matters what you think. Now, I personally think where it does matter is if you have other people counting on you. Now, if I don't have any kids, and if I had kids and they're like, okay, you know, you're competing. It's not helping us financially. It's not helping us this way or that way or whatever then that's one thing. So for you, for example, if you're 30 and you have kids or you have a wife and let's say it's not allowing you to get the best job you can get because you're so focused on bodybuilding, it's like maybe hurting your career in some way, like your other career in some way, then I could see other people in your life, like your wife or your family, if you have those things, like a wife and kids having those things, then um, they might, then you might have to rethink it. You might be like, okay, I'm hurting other people. I don't want to hurt other people in my life. I need to maybe make a decision as to what I want to do and give myself a deadline. If you don't have anybody in that, like that in your life, like you don't have a wife, you don't have kids, you don't have anything, you have a good job that's supporting you and you want to bodybuild and get your pro card, who's to fucking say that you can't? I don't think there's anybody is has power over anybody else. And I think you should do what you love to do as long as it's not hurting anybody else around you. Um, for me personally, I gave myself a deadline when I was coming up because I kept winning. I kept winning my class at the nationals, but they wouldn't give me a pro card because they only gave away one or two pro cards, I think at the time. And I won the heavyweight class and then I won the super heavyweight class. Then I won the heavyweight class again. Then finally the fourth time they gave me my, pro card and won the super heavyweight class one more time. So I won my class, uh, sorry, not four times, three times. I won my class three times. And the third time they gave me a card. Now the third time when I went and they, before they gave me the card, I was 27 and I was like, okay, this is it. If I don't, I've won my class twice. If I don't get my pro card on this try, I'm done. But that was because of the circumstance I had won my class and stuff. So only you can decide where that line is drawn for yourself. Morgan Mac bodybuilding says, did you have an off season phase that stands out to you where you made significant amount of progress? If so, how long was it? How heavy did you get? What worked well? I have two. There was one uh, way back, way back when I was like 25, I believe. It was between my first nationals and my second nationals. So when I went to my nationals the first time, I think I was 24 or 23. I don't remember. 23 or 24. 23, I think. So I went to my first nationals. It's 23, I think. And um, I took fifth out of like 20 guys. 
But the one thing I noticed was the guys first, second, third, and fourth were all significantly bigger than I was. Cause I was like two Oh four or something like that, that year in the off season, I focused on my meals heavily. I didn't miss any meals. And I think I remember doubling my, and I'm not saying this is what you guys should do. This is what happened for me. I remember doubling my protein count and majority of majority of it was chicken. I was eating chicken and steak a lot, but a lot of chicken. So instead of doing like one large chicken breast, which is usually about six ounces, I was doing two. And then I would do, I wasn't doing, I didn't know a lot about fats back then. So I was doing a lot of carbs in the form of pasta. So I was doing a lot of chicken, a lot of pasta, and I just really ate good, clean food, but lots of it all year long. And I put on, the next year I came back at 220. I put on like 16 pounds of stage weight. Next year I came back at 220 and I won the heavyweight class. The next off season was even better. I remember me and John working together. I was only doing eight ounces of protein per meal. A lot of it was steak. Um, I reduced my carbs to a moderate amount. So I was eating like 300 grams a day and, but I doubled my, my fats. So I was eating like 20 to 30 grams of fat per meal. And that off season was just crazy. Like my appetite was good all year. My mental stability was good all year. My mood was good all year. My muscle growth. That was the off season before I won Orlando. And I just remember thinking I'm still lean at 290 pounds. And, um, I really, really am an avid believer in healthy fats because of that off season and in other off seasons like it, I really believe that you should have healthy fats in every single meal, whether it's as much as I did or not, I don't know. I don't think so. But for me, when I overload the fats and lower the carbs, I actually do better than if I just do tons of carbs and no fats. Uh, I think that's it guys. That's all the questions I had picked out. And uh, I actually didn't set the timer for the hour. So <laughs> I don't know how long, I don't know how long I've been going, but I just answered all the questions I had picked out. So I want to thank you guys for watching. And I have a really good uh, podcast coming up with Chris Tuttle. He's an IFBB Pro 212 competitor. For those of you who don't know Chris Tuttle, he is a registered dietitian as well. And he used to work at a hospital in the, um, nutrition and disease kind of area. So he's very, very knowledgeable about the field and I want to get him on. And those of you who listen to the podcast, a lot of the podcasts are um, kind of about people's lives and where they come from and we get deep into their mental state and things like that. I wanted to do one that was more X's and O's. So the one with Chris is very, very heavy on the X's and O's, meaning you know, what are you eating? How are you training? Like, what is, what is, what should people do when they eat this way or that way or train this way or train that way? And, um, Chris has some very, very good insights to those things. So I'm going to be releasing that podcast, uh, either Monday or Tuesday. I'm not sure, but make sure you guys check that out. So until next time, guys, sacrifice without regret, train really hard. Thanks for listening. And thanks for all the feedback. I hope you guys got a lot of information out of this one.